John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, very famous passage. Jesus, he said in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? We're gathered here this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the linchpin to our faith. Without it, uh, everything falls apart. My dad was a a helicopter pilot in, in Vietnam, and there was one giant nut they put on top of the propellers. They used to call it the Jesus nut. You know, it was kind of a weird turn. But without that Jesus nut, everything falls apart. Everything falls apart. We all die. And if there was a Jesus nut, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the Christian faith. Amen? Different kind of Jesus nut. Amen? (laughs) But the resurrection of Jesus is proof that all he did and all he said was true. Was true. I love that. Because without Jesus rising from the dead, Jesus was just another dead guy with a bunch of things to say. Just another dead religious guy. Just another dead founder of a religion with a bunch of things to say and things for people to do. and, And so what? I think you'll agree with me that if Jesus claimed to take away our sins by dying on the cross and claims to give us eternal life, yet died just like all the rest of humanity and stayed dead in the grave, so what? He lied. You want, if someone says, I'm going to give you eternal life, you want someone who has actually conquered death to give you that, amen? (laughs) There's a lot of people walking around telling you they're going to give stuff who've never experienced nor know how to give it to you, amen? But Jesus never rose, he lied. And Paul spoke to this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16, where Paul says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile. What are we doing? Why are we gathered together? Why are we even Christians? Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. You haven't been forgiven because Jesus said not only he'd forgive you, but he'd give you eternal life. You're you're just stuck. It's the same as it ever was. (laughs) He says, then those who have fallen asleep, those who are dead in Christ already are lost. And he goes, if only this, for this life we have hoped in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. The apostle Paul who is being stoned and bruised and, 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 and ridiculed for the face of what in the world am I doing if Jesus is not raised from the dead? And see, Christianity hinges, what we believe as Christians hinges upon Jesus rising from the dead. That is the proof that he has power over sin and the effects of sin, which is death. Amen? The resurrection of Jesus Christ sets us apart from all other religions. All other founders of religions with all their claims are dead in their graves. It is impossible to be a Christian if Christ is dead. If he did not raise our faith Our trust, the forgiveness of sins is all rooted in the fact that Jesus actually has the power over death, which is the penalty for sin. 
And so that is what we celebrate this morning. The one who has power over sin and over death. Amen? That's why we're here. We're gathered together. Praise the Lord. Jesus has power over sin and death. And this is why Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians and he says uh, emphatically, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all those who have, who have fallen asleep, who will, all who have died. And any of you farmers know what first fruits are. You plant in rows. The first fruit is the first that pops up. In other words, Jesus is the first of many to come. Who are the many? Praise the Lord. I'm so happy I'm a, I'm a fruit of some kind. <laughs> in other words, he's the forerunner of all those who will experience the resurrection of the dead and eternal life. Now, real quickly, here's the backdrop to John chapter 11. Just as it is with all humanity, the backdrop ready for the downer is death. The backdrop is death. John 11, the backdrop is death. A man named Lazarus got sick and he died. He got sick and he died. Lazarus couldn't stop it. His sisters couldn't stop it. No one could stop it. No one could reverse it. He got sick and died. And so it is with us. Death is all around us every single day. Whether it's the hand of ISIS, or whether it is an illness, or quote, natural causes. <laughs> Death is all around us and is within each of us. Death is a force that cannot be defied by mankind. It visits us all. We have no control over it. Death is something that is birthed within each of us and comes to term in every single human being. That one statistic I keep quoting, 100% of all people die. Have you heard that one? So far. There are many philosophies about why we die. The Bible is clear about the origin of death the origin and the reason why we die? You ever wonder why we die from the biblical perspective? From the true perspective? Ezekiel 18.20 says, the one who sins is the one who will die. King James, we all love that one, the soul that sinneth dieth. I put the F on the last one, so. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. You know, the payment for sin is death. So we see that sin causes death. That's what the Bible says. Sin is simply disobedience to God. Now, I know this is remedial for many of you, but this is also Easter Sunday, right? A lot of people haven't heard this before. We're sharing the truth of the gospel here this morning, why we die. So sin is simply just disobeying God. This, and Romans 3.23 says, who sinned? Who's, who's disobeyed God? Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So again, I, I went back this week as well, and I looked at, in the Greek, what does all mean? And it still means, guess what? All. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we said to err is human. Correct. <laughs> this means everyone has sinned. And the reason for death is because we've all sinned. We've all broken God's perfect law. And God's perfect law is, is basically put God first. I'm paraphrasing. Put God first. D don't worship other gods. Don't, uh, don't disrespect God's name. Keep his Sabbath. Respect your parents. Honor your parents. 
Don't hurt other people. Don't murder, right? Don't kill. Be faithful in your marriage. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't be envious of others. Now, if you flip on the television, that's everything it promotes. <laughs> that is why Netflix exists. <laughs> to do the exact opposite. When we go against God's law, it's called sin or missing the mark. It's an archery term. Simply, you're trying to hit a mark and you don't hit it. It's because we're not perfect and there's a reason. It says, why do we sin? Why do we miss the mark? Why do we blow it? The Bible says that it's because of our fallen nature. Every one of us has it. We, we inherited it from the first man who sinned named Adam. It's in our DNA. How do you like that? Oh, joy. That's not very fun. Adam went against God's command, and he fell from his perfect state to a fallen state, and all of his offspring followed suit. You ever notice how your kids do what you do? It was in his DNA. He was broken. He sinned. He died. That was the penalty. And so it is with every one of us. Romans 5.12 says, Sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin. That's how death came in the world. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. We go, oh, that's not fair. Thanks, Adam. Well, what about you? What about me? Do you sin? Oh, man. For crying out loud, Paul, who wrote the New Testament, said, I'm the chief of sinners. <laughs> and if he's the chief of sinners, oh, great. But Paul describes his, his personal experience with this broken nature. And maybe you can relate today. I know I can. Paul, in, in Romans chapter seven fifteen, he's writing to a church about this, this brokenness that's inside of him. And he says, I don't understand what I do. He says, for what I want to do, I don't do that. But what I hate to do, that's what I do. Anybody relate so far? Oh my gosh. Verse 18, for I don't know, for, for I know the good itself, uh, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, my brokenness. There's no good in there. He says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Anybody try to go on a diet? How's your exercise program going? Oh my gosh, if it's not one thing, it's another, isn't it? Just don't follow through. I don't carry it out. That what I, what I know I need to do, that I don't do. This is, Paul, yeah, this is very applicable, Paul. Thank you. For, for I, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do, that I do. How many of you know the very thing that you don't want to do, and you end up going, well, I think I'll just do that? <laughs> what in the world? What is with that? That's what I would call broken. That's broken. That's who we are. And notice, it's not just one of us. It's we're all broken. And boy, I tell you what, I, I, I really see it in you guys. <laughs> just want you to know that this morning. <laughs> what? This tendency towards sin, the Bible says it leads us to death. It leads us to death. James is talking to a church. 
And he's talking to a bunch of people that love God, and yet they keep following after this broken nature, right? Anybody who experienced that? I mean, you love God. Well, I love God. Love Jesus. And yet you, you realize that struggle Paul's having. In. You see it. In James chapter 1, 13, he says, and he uses this analogy of, and he's talking about brokenness, a broken nature, which causes us to do broken things, which ends in death. A broken nature which causes us to do broken things, which ends in death. That's what he's talking about. And he uses the analogy of, of a birth. Someone gets pregnant, that comes to term, and they deliver it. And he's saying, what you deliver is death eventually. That's, that's his picture there. And he uses the exact opposite talking about life, by the way. But he describes what's going on. And he says in James 1, 13 to 15, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person, hello, is tempted when, we, when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And so J, James lays out this path, the path that Lazarus went down, the path that each and every single one of us goes down. He says, first, I want you to know that when you're tempted, it's not God tempting you. God has nothing to do with the death plan. That is not his nature. That is not who he is. He's, a, he's got a life plan. Amen? He's got a life plan. That's what God's about. So who's to blame for this death plan? And he goes on and says, first, it's not God. Secondly, it's you. Thanks, James. Real encouraging. Real seeker-friendly, buddy. Verse 14. He says, each person, that's all of us, is drawn away and is, is tempted and dragged away and enticed by our evil desires. What are you talking about? This is why it's really easy to see it in others. Well, look at, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. Look how, you know, I don't have, I don't have that struggle. Because he says each one has his own evil desires. Each one is broken in different ways. And it's expressed in different ways. We're all broken. And this is what he says. Well, this is, this is the analogy. He says each one is, draw, is tempted. The reason why we're tempted is because we can be tempted. <laughs> Do you realize that? Have you ever seen a dead person? Have you ever put a candy bar next to a dead person? Not saying you have. How tempted are they to eat that, that candy bar? I know this is getting grim. They aren't. The same way, this is why we're tempted, is because within each one of us, we have a sinful nature that is, what says it is drawn away and enticed. Those two words, as I've shared before, drawn away is a word for trapping. That's trapping an animal. Any of you ever trapped an animal before? Lured an animal? Snared an animal? Perhaps when you were young? It's off the record, everybody. How many of you are fishermen? Fisherwomen? Anglers? Do you, do you, well, how do you, how do you catch a shark? Put a big old chunk of meat on a hook and you throw it out there. Why is that? Because it's appealing to what? Who he is who he is. Why do you think we get drawn away and pulled and tempted in all these various ways? Because of 
who we are is drawn towards it. You see, the what we do is a symptom of who we are. Does that make sense? And James says, guess what? We're all broken. The reason why we get pulled away is because we're broken inside. And we're all pulled away by our own desires and we're lured and enticed differently. But guess what the path is? It starts in our mind. We live in a world that's broken and fallen and ruled by the devil. And you know what he uses to pull us off the path of the Lord? He uses things that are tempted, that tempt us in our nature. Just turn on advertisement for television. What are they appealing to? For you to be satisfied? They're appealing to, some, to a need, a desire, a want. And good, there's many good things, by the way. But they're appealing for a reason. Why do you think all the TV shows have, you know, good-looking people on there? Is that reality? What's it appealing to? It's appealing to our honesty and our integrity to watch this program. It's a, they know what they're doing. They're drawn away. They're enticed. We are enticed by different things, right? I think that's very powerful. But he says the path that that happens is when we get drawn away, what happens is we think that in our minds we can satisfy that desire by doing that thing. And that's where the lie comes in. This is why affairs happen. We think these things can be satisfied. And you see here pastors, they go, oh, I'm so miserable if I just go hook up with, you know, the secretary or whatever it is. Then this need will be met. On the outside, you're going, that's ah, lunacy. Come on. But guess what's going on inside that person? There's bait. And they've got a desire. And they're going to go take it. And what happens is when they take that bait, when they start thinking about it, that's when sin is birthed. Because Jesus said, it's not the actual action that the problem is. It's, it starts in our minds. It's when we start to develop the plan. That's when sin conceives. It's not that you go sleep with that person, Pastor. It's that you start planning it. That's when sin happens. It's not that you uh, go murder that person. It's when you start to think. And when you put it on that terms... When Jesus starts teaching like that and says it's actually in our hearts, it's in our nature, it says where do all these things come from? Where does murder, murder and all these other things come from? It comes from within us. Out of the overflow, the mouth speaks. The overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we see it presented. So Jesus is saying the reason why you're drawn away, the reason why this leads to death is because you're dead. You're broken. You need a new nature. And you can't change it yourself. That's what he's getting at. This nature, according to God, is spiritually dead. It's incapable of following God or pleasing God. That's what Paul's saying. I just can't do the good I want to do. What in the world's going on? Can't do it. It produces physical death in the end, but it's spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 calls it, it's dead in our trespasses and sins. It's who we are by nature. James says we're all prone to that rebellion and attracted to the things that that show our nature. The Bible says that all have sinned, all have fallen short, all are going to die because of that. Happy Easter. Let's pray. <laughs> but it's in this context, everybody. This is the context. Jesus is, there's there's dead person in, in the ground over here that they all love. Jesus loved this person. There's dead people all around. 
There's people breathing in and out, think they have life and they don't, that we're all dead. And Jesus stands up in the middle of this and in John 11, he gives hope and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In the midst of all the death, in the midst of all the problems, Jesus stands up and says, I'm the answer. You have no power over this in yourself. You can't stop it. You're incapable. But I am. I'm, I have rule over this stuff. I'm the opposite of that. I'm not on the death path. I'm on the life path. And I'm here to give you life. I am the resurrection and I am the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they physically die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? See Jesus standing up in the middle of the darkness? You see why Resurrection Sunday is so awesome? What do we do with ISIS? The fact that we learn from ISIS is, is you, don't, you don't control the day of your death. You don't, you, you don't control circumstances. You can try the best you can, but I guess what? It's coming. However, whenever, whatever. But there was one who knows. There's one who has power over it, and that is Jesus Christ. And there are three aspects that I'm going to go through briefly here about these, these two verses that I pray would set your hearts upon Jesus this morning as we look at the life that Jesus gives. Jesus gives life. You might be going here right now. I might have been talking about death, and you're going in your mind and going, yeah, oh gosh, yeah, that's me. I'm headed on the death path. Great. Good news. Good news. Jesus is your, is your answer. He's going to rescue you. He loves you. Amen. Praise the Lord. But three things. The first thing is who he is. Who's Jesus in this context? And what he does is number two. And third, what's our response? And so as we have this fallen nature leading to death, what does Jesus have to do with this? As I just briefly mentioned, who is Jesus in the light of our spiritual and eventual physical death? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection, of Je- uh, the resurrection is not an event. It's a person. Life is not an event. It's not breathing in and out. It is a person. It is the person of Jesus Christ. He claims to be the power over death, and he claims to be life. That is who he claims himself to be. Life is a person. It's not a series of brain waves. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. In other words, Jesus is the source of all life. It's within his very being. He didn't go buy it somewhere. And borrow it. It's his. It's who he is. It's from his very nature. He is life. I like that. Don't you? How'd you like to hang around someone who is life instead of a vortex of death? <laughs> Jesus is life. That's in his very being. This means that he's the source of all life. John chapter 1, verse 3 says of Jesus, through him all things were made, nothing Uh, I'm sorry, without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. Jesus made everything and is the source of life. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, he says, For in him, in Jesus, all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible. I mean, angels, demons, uh, uh, things we can see, things we can't see, things we can measure, things we can't measure, gravity, strong, weak nuclear forces, whatever you're talking about, black holes, if they are there, we don't know. But all those things, whatever they are, Jesus is the author and the creator of all these things. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He holds all things together. We wonder why things are held together. It's Jesus. 
Jesus is eternal. He had no beginning. He had no end. Our beginning came from him. He is the source of life. Everything seen and unseen is made by him. He has power over all, and he has power over death. Amen. Who is Jesus? He is the answer to death. He is the resurrection and the life. He has the power to make dead men, women live. And that's the second point. He's the resurrection. The second point is what, what Jesus does. What does Jesus do? He makes dead men alive. In verse 25, 26, Jesus says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. How many would you like, like to have that promise? Now, let me, let me put it this way. How many of you would like that if it was packaged outside of Christianity? Would go out there and buy that in a heartbeat? because of all the things Christianity is associated with and all that great stuff. And the history of the church and all these other things. How many of you would pursue that? I mean, really go after that. I think the enemy has a, a plan to maybe get you off course. Jesus said those two things. He says, it, he says it in two different ways. He says, first, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And secondly, he says in verse 26, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus says two things the same way often, and he has a different twist on it. But John three sixteen and 17 reiterate this point. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but through him it might be saved. Jesus was sent to die for our sins, to save us from perishing, to give us eternal life. Now, what does perishing mean? What does death mean? What does that mean? We all die, but what is he talking about? Because it's a little confusing here. Because he says, though you die, you're going to live, and yet he says you will never die if you believe in him. Which is it? And that means the, the death that Jesus is talking about here is not physical, it's spiritual. It's spiritual death. It's an eternal death. It's called the second death in Scripture. It's eternal separation from God in a place called hell. You see, we're, we're eternal beings. Did you know you're an eternal being? You have eternity in your heart. It's interesting. Did you guys read that? Uh, I, f- I forgot what news article it was that just came out that said less people believe in God, but, but more people believe in an afterlife. Did you read that? It was out recently. Like, more and more millennials are like, ah, forget, you know, God and, and religion and all that stuff, but heck, I believe in some kind of afterlife. Of course you do. Because it's in your heart. God made you that way. You're eternal. Because you know you're eternal. We don't just turn the lights off and that's it. You're an eternal being made in the image of God. It means you're going to go on living forever. The question is your destination. The death of Jesus is speaking here what the Bible calls the second death, eternal separation from God. He doesn't want you to experience that. You see, we are that, those eternal beings, and Jesus is the resurrection, but Jesus is the resurrection of the living and the dead. When we die, brothers and sisters, you go in the ground, guess what? There's going to be a resurrection for everybody. Those who believe in Jesus and those who don't believe in Jesus are going to rise again. Did you know that? The question is, where? (laughs) That's scary. 
So Jesus says in, in John chapter 5, 28, he says, don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who were in their graves, and again, I looked up all again in the, in the Greek, and it's still all, all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Two resurrections. And so there's going to be those two resurrections. The resurrection for those of us who trust in Jesus to save us from this death. And each one will be given a resurrected body fitting with their eternal destination. For the saved, a body without pain, incorruptible. How many of you love to have a body without pain and incorruption? Incorruptible, all that stuff. I'm looking forward to Matt 2.0. Never need an upgrade, all that stuff. It's going to be awesome. But guess what? There's also a body prepared for those who've rejected Christ so they will experience the condemnation and the suffering. Because God is not only a God of love, He is just. This is where most people turn off. And they have big questions, which I'd love to talk to you about. But for those who reject Christ, the body will be fit for eternal separation in the lake of fire. Regarding those who have rejected, Revelation 20, verse 11. So then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. Pay attention here. The dead were judged according to what they had done, what was recorded in the books. The sea gave up their dead that were in it. And death and Hades, that's, that's the current holding place, hell gave up the dead that were within them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. How many of you want to be judged according to what you have done? Not only what you've done, but what you've thought and your motives. No, thank you. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So what would be immediately be my number one thing that needs to happen on my to-do list? I want my name in the book. I want my name in the book. How do I get my name in the book? And praise God that he is not... How do I... I was going to say something... You know, it's not, it's not this giant bureaucratic process of paperwork and going back and forth. It's like filling out your taxes, okay? Jesus is concerned with what happens to you when, you're, when your heart stops beating. He's so concerned that he died to save you by taking your place upon the cross. That's love. He paid the penalty for being a lawbreaker, he took our place, amen? Not only that, he has the power to give us eternal life. And so Jesus is saying he is the resurrection, he is the life. Jesus has power to give men eternal life. That's what he does. This brings us to the third point real quickly, our response. What's our response? I want to be in, I want the name in the book. What do I need to do? All the religions of the world say you've got to jump through some serious hoops because I'd like to have some control over you. Because don't you know I'm really spiritual as your pastor? And so in order for you to have eternal life to be named in the book, I would like you to serve, to show up to church every single Sunday. And I'd like you to serve here and do this. And I want you to pray this many times. And I want you to jump through all these hoops. And by the way, you need to pray in this direction. And you need to pay this amount of money. And that's what all the world does. 
This is why Jesus came and he walked into the most religious group of people. And he just said, come to me. You who are weary, heavy laden, overburdened, and I will give you rest. How many of you want the shortcut? I don't want to jump through all that stuff. By the way, the Bible says that that never works. You can't earn it. You can't earn your name into the book of life. So great, we're all going to die and I can't earn salvation. What happens? I can't be saved in my own strength. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he follows it up just in case we weren't listening. Do you believe this? How many of you need some things repeated just for clarity? Jesus is all, um, and I could just hear him speaking. You know, he's out there, he's saying, the one who believes in me will live. You know, and he's going, and the one who, who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? You know, it's like advertisement. We repeat things. Jesus is like, what do we do to be saved? You believe. Believe in what? That he is who he said he is. And that he did what he said he did. And he has the power to do what he says. You know the idea here. He is the resurrection and eternal life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. Number one, recognize you've all, we've all blown it. We're all broken. If you can't get past that point, you're not going to get saved. You've got to say guilty. And I might not be the person next door or this person, or I might not be this or that. It's just me and you, Lord. Guilty. I'm guilty. Secondly, you say, but I believe that you died to take away my guilt. You did it. You paid it all. I can't earn it. I can't pray enough. I can't jump through enough hoops. I can't go to church enough. I can't, I, there's nothing I can do. You did it all. I trust you. Believe upon him. Put all your eggs in that basket, basket is what he's saying. I love that about the Lord. And he rose again for the third day to prove that he is like no other. He's not like Muhammad. He's not like anybody else. He's alive. He has power over all this situation. He's able to give you eternal life. It isn't earned. You can't earn forgiveness. You can't earn eternal life. No, it's received. It's free gift. How many of you love someone? How many of you, if you were able to save their life by giving something of yours, would do it because you love them that much? See, God's love is greater than that. And that while we were yet sinners, while we were still enemies, God loved us enough to give. Aren't you thankful that God, it's in God's nature to be loving towards us while we're knuckleheads? Oh, all the parents said amen. <laughs> Jesus, so you just believe, you receive it. This is, the, this is it, ready? This is all you have to do. Romans 10, 9 puts it this way. If you declare with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord. That means he rules over you. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How do you like that for hoops? Is that an easy burden? 
God made it so simple a child could do it. I received Jesus when I was four. Simply said, I, somehow I knew I was a sinner, sinner light, whatever you want to call it. It was in me. Still a sinner. And I knew I needed to be saved, and I said, Jesus saved me. And he did. And let me tell you, I went on a wild pick and ride. I mean, all these things you read about in the Bible, guilty. And yet, he was faithful. How many of you have been on a wild ride? Some of you have been far away from the Lord. Still able to save you? Oh, he's so mighty. So loving, so kind, so long-suffering, still loves you. Come on home. Come to Jesus. The same way. I love Peter. Peter, he said, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going I'm to follow you. I'll even die for you. How many of you have like, been like Peter's? And then three months later, you're back to the same old stuff you've always done. Back fishing again. Jesus goes and finds Peter, standing on the shore. Peter's in the boat doing his thing. Peter sees Jesus, and he jumps off the boat and swims towards him. And he says, and he has a conversation of restoration. He deals with his sin. He doesn't let it slide. I love that about the Lord. He'll point it, he'll get us right, right? I love that about the Lord. He restores relationship. And then, he, after that whole conversation, he said the very, he said again to him, the same thing he said to him when he first saw him. He said, Peter, follow me. I love that about the Lord. We can deny him and all these types of things, and he still comes up to me and says, hey, you, follow me. Let's go. And Peter even then complains. Well, what am I going to do? Jesus is like, just follow me. Don't worry about John. John's going to live long. You're going to die by crucified upside down, but just follow me. True. Jesus is alive. He wants to give you his life. He wants to raise you up, not to eternal death, but to eternal life. That's his heart. That's his nature. But listen, he is just, just as he is love. That is why he does not overlook sin. He pays for sin. That is why he can't just go, I love you, forget about it. He doesn't forget about it. It has to be paid for. And he died. He's not going to forget about it. But you've got to receive it. You've got to say thank you. And that's how the love of God is expressed to us in Jesus Christ. He's, will you receive it? And Jesus says, do you believe? Why would God do this? Why would God die in our place? It's because God loves you. You're going, really? After all I've done? After what I say? After what I think? After who I am and the inner workings of my heart? He knows all of it? He still loves me? Yep. Totally. It's never changed. He loves you. Do you love him? Will you receive? Will you humble yourself before him and say, guilty, save me, make me clean? And this is the cool thing. When we say, yes, I believe, Jesus starts, he takes our sin and he removes it from us. It's gone. And we start bringing it up. Oh, God, don't you remember when I was like, I can't remember that for some reason. It's gone. Oh, don't you know how bad it is? He's like, I mm. All of a sudden, he just forgets. You're new. You're brand new. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You begin a, a new nature. God, you now have God's nature within you. Warring with that stupid spiritual nature. That's why our body needs to die. We get a new body to fit our new spirit. Amen? 
Now you start following after Jesus. You're no longer following after the lures and the traps. You recognize them for what they are. Oh, that's death. No, let's not go that way. Life. You start following after life. And that's what the Christian walk is, following after life, following after Jesus. It's because God loves you. That's why, that's why he died. It's his love for you. And, the, and the, the greatest scripture for that is John three sixteen. For God so loves you, the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever, I looked up whoever again, and guess what whoever means? Adolf Hitler, whoever. ISIS, whoever. Pedophile, whoever. The blood of Christ is powerful. I'm telling you guys, whoever it is, Jesus is able to save. It's very hard. But that's how big his love is. So much so that he took a murderer and he had him write the New Testament. What is he going to do with your life? What's he doing in your heart? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. anyone in this room who, who wants their name written in the book of life, who's never received Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Today's the day that Jesus saves you. Today's the day that you just say, I surrender. I'm guilty. Forgive me. Save me. I can't earn it. I can't do it. But you did it for me. I believe. Save me. Make me new. If that's you, put your hand up and down your hand up just nice and high so I can see it. Praise God. It's you. Anyone else? The Lord's looking at you. This is for your heart. Okay, I'm not going to have you come in front of the church. Just up and down. This is for you to say, this is, this is me and you, God. It's a step of faith. Put your hand up. It's not your hand that saves you. It's your heart. But God wants an action. Anyone else? Forgive me. Make me new. Praise the Lord. With that one person, would you just pray with me in your heart? Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. But I believe you died on the cross to take away all that stuff. And you rose again on the third day to make me a new person and to give me eternal life. Thank you for saving me. I trust in you as my Savior. Now be my Lord. Rule over me. Lead me in the path of life. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Church, God loves you. I know many of you know the Lord. Walk in his life. He's given you his Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is saying, follow me. Amen? He is risen. Let him be alive in you. Amen? God bless you. Have a wonderful Easter. Take care.